How's it going, everyone? My name is Bert. Yeah, I'm Fonz. And this is... Bert and Fonz. Cryptozoology. What the fuck is that? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked. So cryptozoology is the study of legendary or mythological creatures. So monsters, creatures, things oh, okay. uh, from legends or anything like that that is considered to be beastly in nature. This is a whole scientific study yeah. of that, which is predominantly just taking in a lot of like, what are the legends? Like, where did it originate from? Are there any sightings of it? Let's try and document those sightings, even if it's just like somebody verbally telling you, oh, I had a sighting at this place. It kind of looked like this. Mm -hmm. um, anything like that. And there's a couple of big ones that I'm sure that everyone has heard of. And then there's a couple of them that I think not a whole lot of people have heard of, but I think are really cool in general. And quite honestly, I could probably do a couple different episodes just on this topic covering <clears throat> different cryptos as they're called or cryptids over like the different legends and everything. Cause there's just so many cool ones, but I wanted to cover off in a couple of, why um, called, sorry, why do you call it crypto? You know, um, I'm not exactly sure why it's called crypto. Can we pull up the Wikipedia really quick? Oh, so look, it, it says it's a pseudoscience. Cryptozoology is a pseudoscience. So that means it's based on pseudo evidence. <laughs> or fake evidence. Or fake. I don't know. It's, it's not fake. Sort of. So it's like kind of. Kind of, yeah. I think so I it's, it's sort of evidence. But I'm interested to know why the crypto. Why? Why? Can you see if there's etymology anywhere? There has to be some. Like, what is the, crypt, the yeah. breakdown of why it's cryptozoology? Yeah, because why it's called crypto, because crypto to me Probably is, the terminology. In a field, cryptozoology originates... The term cryptozoology dates from 1959 or before. Hulemans attributes the coinage of the term cryptozoology, the study of hidden animals. Hidden, that's what crypto is. Because I was thinking of cryptic encryption, and I was like, why cryptozoology? Because ah, it's the hidden right, right. hidden messages and all that stuff. Ah. Yeah, so Hidden animals. Awesome. Throughout all of this. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, I yeah, absolutely. Always. Thank you, yeah. So, etymology is also important. <laughs> yes, etymology is also important. Yes. Um, so, there's a couple big ones specifically that I wanted to cover off on, and mm -hmm. Like the first two, I have very distinct reasons for wanting to cover off on these. But the first one, something we all know and goes by many, many names. Bigfoot. Okay. Yeah. Or Sasquatch. Yeah. I have some other names in here. But essentially, Yeti. the description, yeah, the Yeti is another version the of that. The Yeti one is what we know it. Right. Um, so the Bigfoot, the description of a Bigfoot is a Bigfoot is a heavy bipedal humanoid ape it is believed that bigfoot stands at around eight feet tall however the um hibigan stands at only four feet that's another version of what we call a bigfoot okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, stands at only about four to five feet and has like super long arms so like it's almost like got dwarfism or an orangutan. Or an orangutan kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it has dense fur ranging in colors from red to white to brown. It has very large feet, which is why it's called the Bigfoot. Some people believe that Bigfoot is the descendant of a prehistoric giant orangutan, actually, called mm. uh, Gigantopithecus. 
Okay. And that's actually like this big, giant, monstrous okay. orangutan that used to actually live. Because um, I know what orangutan it means, actually. What is orangutan? Just mean? etymology, Malian etymology. Orang is yep. man. Okay. Is the man of the jungle. Oh, okay. That makes total sense. It's Tarzan. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. <laughs> I got a little segue, but go, go on. Right, right, right. Uh, whereas others think that, you know, instead of being descended from Gigantopithecus or actually Gigantopithecus um, as it was, um, just like may have survived, like examples of it may have survived mm-hmm. somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, others think that it was descended from prehistoric humanoids such as Neanderthal man or Australopithecus. Yeah, I'm pronouncing it Australopithecus. Australopithecus is how in Spanish we say Australopithecus. So that's what I'm trying to. I'm anglicizing that. Right. So, like I was saying before, um, there are actually many cryptids, which is again the name for any creature that falls under this sort of like hidden creature sort of thing. Um, There are many cryptids that are actually called Bigfoot. Uh, found throughout the world, although that is commonly used to describe the North American Sasquatch. Same such as the Yeti, colloquially known as the Abominable Snowman, are believed to inhabit Tibet, Nepal, India, while the Yaren, which is another version of this, mm-hmm. um, are alleged to be inhabit um, like Hubei, China. Okay. So there's like so many different versions of this and so many cultures that have claimed to see some sort of very tall, big-footed, hairy ape-like creature Mm -hmm. that just lives out in nature Mm -hmm. typically um like i know native americans historically um if they referred to a bigfoot type creature it was always like a guardian of the forest Mm -hmm. so it was almost like a revered um like spirit of Mm -hmm. the forest sort of thing Mm -hmm. and i always thought that was really cool um but i mean just the fact that the idea of Bigfoot is such a big thing in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Like people obsessed with it to the point where we've got TV shows about people hunting it, which is where crazy does, to me. So where does that originate? You know, where does what originate? The U.S., particularly the U.S. myth of, of Bigfoot. So are there? I'll, I'll qualify my question. So are there um, different parts of the U.S. where there's sightings, or is there a part of the U.S. where they say just like? Himalaya is a mm-hmm. part of Asia where people say the abominable snowman right. dwells here. Predominantly in like the North American continent. Okay. Um, there's a lot of Bigfoot sightings that are in the uh, Northwest uh, forests up there. So like Portland, Oregon, um, that area up in there that kind of also bleeds off into Canada, mm-hmm. even stretching as far up sometimes as like going into Alaska. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that whole section up there is where there's like the most sightings but it also spills down over into like minnesota sometimes Mm -hmm. like the boundary water areas um and then again like that whole border of the u.s and canada um sections like that but there's also and i think i'll touch this in just a little bit here there's also a, a different one of them um that is originated like down in florida in like the everglades the salt areas too um so other names for these creatures are like the skunk ape which is spotted in florida in the everglades they have like a specific name for it because of like a smell and an odor they get that typically is associated with an sighting of this okay uh which i i always thought was kind of fascinating and another really interesting thing one thing that's covered off on with uh 
the like the Bigfoot hunting show is that a lot of times Bigfoot sightings people try and dismiss them as like oh well, maybe you just saw a bear and it was like a bear that was like up on its hind legs for a minute when you saw it and then it you know it drops down and walks away and that's why it just vanished to vanish in front of your eyes but there's so many I'm very sightings. Yeah, I'm very partial to the telephone game and these things, right? And these leaps of logic. So you know, again, um, orangutan means the man of the jungle, right? So right there, in that name, in the, in and of itself, you can see where somebody's made the leap of logic of seeing a, a, a hominoid or humanoid, yeah, um, being in the jungle, half seen in half light. In a, maybe running away from it because it was scary with a lot of hairs, and that's a man, right? Because and it's now, something you're not anticipating. And now it's so. a big man with big long arms. Well, I mean, and so if somebody else has a myth elsewhere of a big bear standing more than two minutes, that gets that's another sighting of that big hairy man. Exactly. And now the telephone game ensues. And can I just bring a tiny little myth that's sideways only? Sure. This? Yeah, yeah. So talking about orangutan, some people, this is another urban myth that I think is interesting and also leaps with logic. <laughs> if you've read The Clockwork Orange or watched the movie. Both. Uh, a lot of people don't understand, I include myself, when this started, where the title comes from. What is The Clockwork Orange? Why is it called that? It's about these gangs and this dystopian future. of you know. And um, somebody told me once this is true. Anthony Burgess, the author of the Cockroach Orange, lived yeah, yeah. in Malaysia for a long time. So he and he's a linguist, so he likes a lot of linguistic stuff. And that's why he has Nasdaq in the slang that they talk in the Cockroach Orange is a Russian-derived slang. Uh, you know, why, Alex, why did you tall chuck me on my yearbuckles? You know, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. So people say that Clockwork Orange meant the mechanic man. He was using Orang as in man from Malaysia, and it was part of the NASDAQ. Oh, slang. okay. And the, the, editor, the publishers misinterpreted this. As Clockwork Orange. And they, and they put the E. They, said, they thought it was a typo. They put the E, and it became the Clockwork. I love that story. That's really cool. Just actually. like you love cryptozoology. And, but then I've heard Anthony Burgess in interviews talking about why he called it the Clockwork Orange. Yeah. And he's not saying Orange at all. And I'm like, well, maybe it's sort of a myth. Maybe Anthony Burgess backpedaled on it. But I kind of like that story, you know, of something fell, a letter fell through the cracks. And I think there's a lot of this. That's kind of the roundabout way that I wanted to bring that. Right, right. I think there's a lot of that. Just like right I think there's a ton of that, honestly. When, when I see, hear unicorn, I just imagine Vikings arriving at a part of North Africa and seeing a rhinoceros. Right. And then, <laughs> yeah. and yep. then they're, they're, yep. they're drinking in the great hall in the bar, the poet bar, just talking about the horse with the horn on his forehead. Oh. And now you so, have a unicorn. I think that's I just a great story. That out of my ass, but that's how I think these things. Happen. Well, there's an actual an actual version of that story. I don't know if that one is necessarily true, but there's a version of that that's actually historically correct, which I think is interesting. I wasn't going to cover it, but now you bring it up, I'm going to tell Please the story do. anyway. Yes. Uh, and it has to go back to our old friend Christopher Columbus, I and when he was. was <laughs> 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 but there was documented uh, versions of him saying that he was uh, finding and hunting down versions of mermaids and how these mermaids were had like distorted fate like you hear beautiful mermaids and he was like no mermaids in reality are only mildly humanoid looking and their faces are ugly and they're fat and all kinds of stuff they're seals i think or something no no no. what he was actually seeing um off the coast of where he was were manatees manatees well they're they're kind of seals right they're huge i don't think they're classified as seals they're they're a whole separate 
Oh, to me, because they walk like, you know, they kind of have... Well, but, but what's interesting is that they actually have... They share a lot of similarities with uh, humanoids. And the fact that even their front flippers have, like, an arm joint so they can carry their young... Oh, okay. Yeah. I did not know that. That's yeah. awesome. I, I learned it very recently, but that was another, like... That's a historical fact of, like, you want to know where the myth of mermaids came from? It's from this, and then it got spun out of control, but it's because they were seeing things like manatees yeah, yeah, yeah. that have yeah. somewhat human-like faces when they're coming up from out of the water at you. Right. And then you see arms that can actually like do this and bend. And right. They actually have, like the females of that actually have memories that... I did not know that. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. I, I knew that there was some somewhat related to the, to the myth of uh, the sirens, but I never heard of that. Yeah. So one more thing before we cut back. It's just talking about the whole... Um, the telephone game happens through history. Right, right. So I heard from reading Robert Graves, you know, the author of I, Claudius and the yep. White Goddess, and yep. that guy's amazing. Uh, I, I read from him that um, the centaurs, you know, the half-man, half yeah, horses, yeah, yeah. That, that comes from another telephone game. There used to be these sects where they were like the sect of the owl and the sect of the horse. And the and so the ancient, ancient Greeks, not yeah. Aristotle, like way before it. And right, time, right. They were referred to them as the horsemen. And so somebody else picks up the story. Of like a literal half man, half horse. Yes, and here comes the inspired bard, you know, and talks about the horseman, and now, boom, now some some guy paints the horseman, and now you have the centaur, which is a magnificent mythological creature. I right, think it's great. exactly. But it's, you know, it's that's how the telephone game usually, that's kind of my stance on, on cryptozoology. And now, was it just because it was like a clan of the horse? Yes. For the horseman? It wasn't like um, how some people would see, like, uh, the Spanish or anyone coming over and actually like a uh, person riding a horse and suddenly they think it's yeah. like this two-headed, six-legged, weird we animal about that thing. Yeah. No, yeah. That, no, that's different. That, that's different. But it's funny because Robert Graves actually explains further. He says, this is, he tries to give a similar example. He says, what would happen if a thousand years from now, you know, our civilization obliterated archaeologists find a, a political satire written in the United States in the 19th century. He's like, these donkey men battle these elephant men. You know? <laughs> he kind of he establishes a very similar you know, scenario. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really good. It says, that's what would have happened. And every once in a while, there was a snake that would creep up called the Green Party. Right. Well, it, yes. yes. Yeah. But yeah, so that, that, um, that whole thing, that's why I love to read people that are scholars that are so well learned, like Robert Graves. Yeah. Because they know so far back that they can actually give you that insight insight of like you know and, and so there you have like a little insight on how does how do mythical creatures become mythical you know right there's exactly insight to, it's the folklore like how does folklore how does stuff become lore how does it become yeah. legend yeah yeah and it's just the stories that are told again and again and again throughout history and then should, they, they get kind of disordered over time we should i think we should make an episode of that i would love to in fact um telephone games historical telephone games how do you like that yeah, I think that would be a great episode. And if you also just appreciate a bunch of like folklore stuff like I do, there's another fellow podcast person that I can recommend, uh, Aaron Minky, who does a whole podcast oh, nice. called Lore. Uh, go check that out. In fact, it even has two episodes of an Amazon series show because it became so popular. T.I.L. Yeah. I'm going to go um, check him out. Produced too. by the same um, – People who made the Walking Dead television show. Okay. So it's actually pretty quality. So go check it out. That's Lore. Um, L-O-R-E. Go check it out. Uh, so there's another one, another Bigfoot. Like bringing it back to the Bigfoot thing that I was talking about. There's another one called the Swamp Stalker of Boggy Creek. Have you heard this? I've heard some 
I've seen a couple of movies. Okay. Yeah, there's movies based around it, and it was all based on this um, sighting that happened in this place, Boggy Creek, that caused like this big like newspaper stir, where like the media was like whipping it up, and the monster of Boggy Creek, and right. all that kind of stuff. And it's just interesting how that kind of stuff gets so taken out of proportion, and then right. you go back and dive into what was the actual like first reporting of this and what spurred yeah, all of that some really really big dude that got really drunk in the you know in the small village and this well i mean the first reporting of it but like what kicked all of it off was like this big hairy and swamp man right, right. and just slipped in the swamp you know probably his hand yeah. over and then got up and then scared a bunch of people uh, uh, said, what uh, what we just saw the swamp monster <laughs> and he was like i better not say anything because yesterday i really fucked up <laughs> That's probably exactly how it went down. There's always all kinds of stuff. Uh, but the the Boggy Creek monster is also known as the the Fuke monster. The what? Or, or Southern Sasquatch Fuke? F O U K E. Never heard of that. Okay. Um, but it, it's another large brown humanoid that lives uh, near like uh, Fuke, Arkansas. Okay. Or Arkansas. Everyone hates it when you say Arkansas. It's not Arkansas. That's what. That's how I used to say it. So somebody said Arkansas in front of me. You know? Did you know that uh, in the state of Arkansas, there was a, used to be like one of those stupid laws, but it used to be a law that it was illegal to say Arkansas instead of Arkansas. Oh really? Yeah. I did not know that. because people got so upset about it. It was like a little tiny law that if they if like a police officer caught you, he could give you a citation. Really? Yeah. That is funny. That's a real law that existed. So I don't know funny. if it still exists. They just nobody acts on it, but it existed. Which is really dumb. That that's funny. <laughs> uh, then there's another one called the Yowie, which is a fanged humanoid or um, sort of marsupial or great ape that's featured in Aboriginal mythology along with the Australian raptors. Okay. And the Yowie is described as being one of the most aggressive Sasquatch species of like all time, and has been reported tearing heads off of kangaroos and dogs. Mm-hmm. It's just like you see this giant hairy man thing with fangs run up, grab a kangaroo. Which are big, by the way, especially when they stand up. Yeah, and they can kick your ass. Too. Yes, they can. And then just seeing something like that rip a head off and like throw it the other direction. Yeah, that's that's a big thing, man. That sounds like a bar a bar war story to me. But yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> uh, just like the whole like clearly. This whole like mythos of some big hairy humanoid figure from throughout history like has permeated a lot of There's different cultures. There's a common cultures. thread for sure. Right. There's a common thread and yeah. And it just like it makes you kind of wonder how that kind of gets incorporated into mm-hmm. all those things. Like, where did it start from? And yeah. I think there's a little more research that needs to happen for that part of it. But I just think, again, it's well, really interesting. They've probably done a lot of pseudo research. Su- yes. <laughs> it's a pseudoscience, after all. Hey, yeah. We did some pseudo research. You only kind of need to figure with, out. With these pseudo conclusions. <laughs> so another one I wanted to bring up. And this is obviously ties back to my Scotland trip, but the Loch Ness monster. Well, we know the Loch Ness monster exists because you've seen it. <laughs> I actually, sadly, did not get to see it while I was. I saw there. it on the picture. It was he was right behind you. <laughs> you said it to me. <laughs> right, right. I was like, that was Nessie. Um, if I ever saw it, I also really appreciated like the reconstruction, like the papier mâché, yeah, one that they had at the the at the. Um, 
the museum there yeah, that we yeah. had the picture of as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was just like sitting in the like. I just love that picture area. of you where you have like Missy just sticking up. Right <laughs> like, yeah, like oh, I think it's right behind and me. That guys. solar beam also like it's just the it, sun. Yeah, it gives it a little. Bit of, <gasps> Isn't that fair. a good photo? I, like that I love it a lot. Yeah, it's actually up on screen for those of you that are watching this on YouTube. But the Loch Ness monster. So all the way back. Yeah talking about this and I want to go more in depth about this because I didn't want to do it for that but I knew I wanted to do it for this podcast mm-hmm. so witnesses tend to describe the animal with like a sleek rubbery blackish gray skin about 20 feet long uh, like its code name is Nessie mm-hmm. so Nessie is usually has like a serpentine body that is typical for like a sea serpent and lake monsters and then it's sort of like furnished with these humps along its length and one or more sets of so it's almost like a plesiosaur kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes with stumpy legs. So Nessie's head is often described as roughly horse-shaped. And this goes back to the whole mythos of like the water horse. And the idea of that, which is a whole separate entity into mm-hmm. itself, realistically. Um, it also sometimes has like a, a, a straggly mane running down its neck. Uh, and some witnesses re- report seeing like little small horns at the crest sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, especially those who see Loch Ness Monster uh, from up close. Sometimes witnesses report um, like a smaller, rounded, turtle-like head, and that's actually like the one that has become popularized with mm-hmm. with uh, Nessie okay. and all of that. Um, and that's based off of a couple of key photographs that were, you know, at the time supposed to be proof and then later as things came out and people were interviewed it was actually revealed that a lot of like those early day shots of Loch Ness or the Nessie monster mm-hmm. uh, were actually staged deliberately right. uh, but it was like to further the myth because right, the, the description is also the description he made at first also matches a dirty oleoduct filled with, sea, with seaweed and stuff and, I mean and yeah, yeah. And mud, especially if you see it in poor light and you're scared to death <laughs> and or you've been ingesting copious quantities of scotch whiskey right exactly now allegedly the sightings of the Loch Ness monster date all the way back to the story of this guy Saint Columba. Now, the first article I read about this, which is why I clicked on this article and like learned about the story, is after I clicked on the article, I quickly realized that the person had made a mistake because the name of it was Columbus finding the Loch Ness monster, and I went, "That cannot be right." Mm. They were like, "Christopher Columbus." I was like, "No." There's no possible way. So I clicked on it and I went, okay, they meant St. Columba. And I actually heard about this story when I was in Scotland. Mm -hmm. So St. Columba banishing a monster from Loch Ness with prayer. uh, And then, you know, 2017 being a record year for other Nessie sightings. So it's like spanned all the way from that to, you know, as recent as 2017 with like a bunch of sightings happening yeah yeah so it's been a long long time now so many people have kind of asked like what what the what is the creature what is it um most nessie witnesses describe creatures similar to you know like sea serpents and uh plesiosaurs like i had said before but however some describe creatures similar uh to extinct species of carnivorous whale which is called uh basiosaurus Okay. And the first serious wave of Nessie sightings came in about 1930s or so, and then have continued ever since. Wow. So there's documents and like little stories of it up until 1930s, but 1930s is where 
like shit hit the fan. Right. And there was a bunch of sightings all over the place. It became very popularized. The media picked it up, started spending stories about it to the point where it was even like the country of Scotland financed studies to go off into wow. the wild and try and like right. document this thing. Like they wanted to hunt it down. They wanted it to be real, or at least they wanted the hype of it right. to be real. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, hype, the hype seemed very real. Right. Exactly. Well, what I'm, you know what this pseudo proofs? What? This whole thing about like, it's, it looks like a Bacchusarius here, but then it looks like a serpent over there. And yeah. It looks like a seahorse here. And, uh, you know, it, it proves that it's a telephone game. Right. Well, it's, it's because like, I'm seeing this and yet you're seeing that. Anytime like somebody sees something weird at Loch Ness, boom, it's a Loch Ness well, monster. Right. Yes. Exactly. exactly. Right. Right. Uh, so I saw like a weird head thing poke up. It couldn't have possibly been like a floating log that may have gotten, you well, know, rotted from the inside. And then because of the gases trapped within the wood, like managed to rise to the surface. That's a great point because also by, by that very logic, it's a great point. By that yeah. very logic, if I were to visit Loch Ness now and I saw something look like – if it were the real Nessie come up, I would think it's a prank. Oh, yeah, because so many people have cried wolf at this point. Yeah, so just like you're, like you're saying that you would be suggested to think that a tree trunk is Nessie. Right. Because it's Loch Ness. Yeah. After all of this time, if you actually saw a monster, a Loch Ness monster, or a brachiosaurus, you're going, oh, so the town city hall is up to something. <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh, so I wanted to go back and tell a little bit more of that, like, St. Columbus story. So according to, like, the, the writings and everything of this story, while standing upon the bank of the River Ness, which flows into Loch Ness in northern Scotland, Columba contemplated the best way to cross to the other side. So as he considered the problem before him, he came across a group of heathenish picks. We all, we kind of talked about the picks before. Who we'll were talk about them more. We are going to talk about them more. But they were busy burying a friend who had been attacked by an enormous water beast while swimming in the river. When Columba got the gist of their story from the assembled mourners, he laid his staff across the dead man's chest and miraculously the man stood up whole and hearty now this is all this is all part of the legend this is part of the story against common sense columba ordered uh lunge makumin i'm butchering that name hakuna matata or it was uh lugne lugne makumin okay uh, one of his like fellow monks to swim across the lock and bring back a small boat known as a cobble, which was moored on the opposite shore. So it's like even though he had seen these guys who were burying their friend who was reported to be killed by a water monster, he said, you, you go out there and you go take care of it and you bring me back that boat. So without hesitation, he stripped off his tunic and then immediately jumped into the water. The monster, alerted by the monk splashing around, surfaced and raced towards the helpless monk, eager for a bite. But this is where things get interesting. As the monster roared a mighty roar, darting towards the swimming monk with its mouth wide open, as Lunge was in the middle of the stream, everyone on the shore cried out, hoping to warn the monk on his impending doom. However... Columba was unmoved. Instead, the saint stepped forward boldly to the edge of the lock and making making the sign of the cross while invoking the name of the Lord, spoke in a commanding voice. You will go no further, he demanded of the monster. Do not touch the man. Leave it once. 
even though the monster was no more than a spear's length away from the swimming monk, at the sound of the saint's words, it stopped and immediately fled the scene terrified. (laughs) I just, that part gets me every time. Uh, As Adaman described it, the monster moved more quickly than if it had been pulled back with ropes. The monster quickly absconded to the depths of the lock behind him, allowing Lunier to paddle the boat across unharmed. Everyone, including Nessie, was astonished. If the heathens at the funeral weren't sufficiently impressed with Columba bringing their friend back to life, they were thoroughly impressed with how the monster obeyed the saint. They all gave glory to the god of the Christians. The pigs converted on the spot, being baptized in the very waters of the river Ness. That is the story of St. Columba banishing the monster from Loch Ness, or at least putting him back into his place. What do you think of that story? I think it's bullshit. (laughs) I think there's a ton of pseudo-stories like this one uh, speckled through Christian lore. And to any Absolutely. to any religious conversion propaganda and Christianism has done a heavy job of Well see what's interesting to me is that even take the, even take that out of it. Take the whole Christian piece of it out of it. Take that whole religious piece out. It's just the way that the story is told because somewhere in there is the kernel of the actual story, something about some sort of water monster. And that's the part that I think is interesting. So it's remember, like, wh- where did it come from to get to that point? I think this is an opportunistic pickup from the Loch Ness myth. But this came way before the Loch Ness religious myth. propaganda. Eh, maybe it's part of the Loch Ness myth. Or it could be, I, I mean, mean... We're talking were, about a time where you could talk about dragons. That's true. And you could go like, hey, a dragon showed up and we had to blah, blah, and just make up all kinds of shit. Right. And, well, and we're talking about the pigs, too. Um, in this particular scenario, and the Picts also had a belief of the thing called the water horse, which right, is something right, I had right. referenced earlier. So so. This, is, this is what I'm talking about. So, like Beowulf, you've heard of Beowulf. Beowulf, Beowulf, thank Beowulf you. yeah. Uh, I just pronounced it Spanishly. Um, Beowulf is full of that stuff. Grendel, you know, oh, absolutely. There's a dragon. There's all kinds of shit. It's mythology. Yeah. And, and that's what I love sometimes, about Sometimes, I like mythology when it starts becoming propaganda. You asked me what I thought. Yeah, no, I agree. When it starts impregnating propaganda, I mean, to me, like somebody holding up a cross and saying the name of the Lord and stopping a monster is like when I watch one of those martial arts manga animations where they go like this, (laughs) and the other one just leaps six feet, you know? Yeah. The story has to be really fucking good in order for me to suspend disbelief for that one. Right. And in this case, it's like... Again, I've grown up in a Christian country, so to speak. Yeah. And I've just been inoculated with all this horse shit, and it's pure horse manure. Yes. As far as I'm concerned. You know, water so, horse manure. What's that? <laughs> water horse manure. Yes, water horse manure. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I think. This is a, probably one of the weakest stories that you've told so far. It really sounds to me like an opportunistic. But it's such a like an important thing in Scotland. Like, this was one of the first written recordings of any sort of, like, well, yeah, because documented when, anyway. it was it was convenient to power to spread Christianism right. at this point. This right. is what must be understood here. So just like other conflagracies and conspir- conspiranoias, as we call them in Spain, right? Conspiracy theories today today get spread on the press, yep, like wildfire with a ton of pumping of you know. This is the same thing. It was really I, yeah. Christianism needed to control 
Ireland. Right. So there's nothing better than coming to the bar and going, guess what just happened out there? You know, and then. I don't disagree with Somebody with that. power listens to it and goes like, we're going to write this and we're going to put it and we're going to spread it. Right. I don't disagree with any of that. Right. Uh, but my point of that being not so much that, it's the fact that there is the connected thread of the water monster that now has permeated different stories okay, yeah, but throughout all of that, even to today. Okay. But then, right. So then my question to you is, isn't that the case with all these other myths? I mean, all these other myths have to be. Um, splattered with su- such anecdotes. anecdotes oh, absolutely. Like yeah. So uh, what I'm trying to ask you is like, what's so special about this particular anecdote that we have the account? Well, no, it's just or... the fact that it's one of the first written recordings of oh, this. Oh, okay. All right. And that's what made it so significant. Right. It wasn't the fact of like it being um, related to Christianity oh, or the pics or anything. Okay. It's just one of the first actual written that documentations. Because we, we have a ton of them. See, the thing, the thing I'm having trouble establishing is like, what's the difference between a cryptid and animals in mythology, because we do have actually the majority of the time they're one of the same. So then we have prior written accounts, maybe not for Nessie. Okay, so now I'm getting yeah, that, that's I'm getting what I'm talking about from. for this one. Okay, okay, because yeah. I mean we must have some stuff with, from Greek mythology, from Persian Mesopotamian mythology. Oh, there's stuff Asian from all mythology. over the place. We have yeah. like, tales written like way before Saint Columba. Oh yeah, so, absolutely. Okay, so now now I'm clarifying. Now I'm just, I mean we want to talk Asian mythology. We can even get into Kappas, which are you know. Baby stealing turtle men. But, <laughs> that's a whole different thing. Right. Uh, one last thing I want to touch on with Loch Ness, though, is that there's another theory out there that is not as well known, but the moment I heard about it, I was like, okay, this is one of the biggest leaps in logic ever, but wouldn't it be cool? You know, it's one of those things where it's, it's like you hear it and you're like, but wouldn't it be cool? Let's hear it. So the theory is that the Loch Ness monster actually is one of like the plesiosaurs mm-hmm. um, from ancient history, mm-hmm. but it's not one that magically survived. It's one that is teleporting through a wormhole at the bottom of Loch Ness and only appears periodically because the wormhole will open up sometimes. Nessie will come through, kind of swim around a little bit, go back home, and then the wormhole closes. And the reason this is a theory is because of the density of... Um, certain type of crystals uh, that are found at the bottom of Loch Ness. And I believe it's, um, what is it? Uh, Quartz crystal. I I believe it's quartz crystal. That there's a high density of it there. It's a form of crystallization of carbon, I believe. Right. But quartz crystal um, is actually a great conductor of energy. And so it's believed that the high concentration of it down at the bottom of Loch Ness making a zapping occasionally, like oh. yeah, it, the charges build up enough, and it almost creates like this wormhole that is like a temporary opening to the, that exact place, but at a different point in time, much farther in the past. And that is like one. It's an outlandish theory to be sure. No, but that was fun. But it's an interesting. Well, so, theory. so remember, remember in the sci-fi episode where we were talking about how. H.G. Wells was saying that you, you have to have based things on known facts. Right. You just want to have one miracle, not an arsenal of them. Right. I think this qualifies. So I kind of like it. I like the quartz thing to support the whole wormhole thing. Yeah. But the wormhole thing is so at last. We already have a couple miracles already. We have Nessie. <laughs> and we have Nessie zapping in and out of different dimensions. Right. So, right. 
But but that, this was kind of cool. I, that, I that one was one of my favorite ones. And it's not very well like documented out on the internet. But I, I know that I have stumbled across this. I know that it was part of a um, like a cryptozoology television show. I don't remember the name of it now, but that I watched a while ago. And ever since I heard it, it like embedded itself in my brain. And I was like, oh, that's that's a cool thing to think about. What if that's true? Yeah, but then, yeah. Do you think it's happening accidentally? Like, is Nessie going like, what the fuck? Exactly. That's what I think it is. Nessie's it's like, it's going, just simply fuck? an actual creature from the past that, like, this thing opens up and it's like, ooh, this is different. Like, it, maybe it can taste like a difference in the water or, like, there's a different temperature. And it's like, oh, I want to go check that out. And just happens to go in here and, like, pokes its head up. And it's like, what the hell is on this? All right. Here, you know, I'm going to go back down. This house was, this pub wasn't here before. (laughs) I'm in this pub with those fucking idiots with the bulgy eyes staring at me. I got to go back and tell Charlie. Charlie, you won't believe this shit. (laughs) Maybe it's a bunch bunch of Nessies and they're all different. They're coming in differently. Hey, I just got zapped too. (laughs) Yeah, we are their aliens because of that. I got taken, man, and you won't believe the shit I saw. (laughs) These drunken motherfuckers. (laughs) cool but that was uh that that was a fun one that i related and just like the lioness monster in general is one that i really really enjoy that was funny yeah so there's one more that i want to talk about and it's sort of like if you look at the like the timeline of how all these things have started even if they're popular now they usually have like stories that stretch way way back this one would be more of a modern one and this one is a story um of this legend of this thing called the jersey devil (laughs) Have I've you heard, heard of this? Of that, yes. You've heard of the Jersey Devil? I think there's actually a, a movie. There's a documentary or a movie about it. It's fairly recent about a, a hunter. Who's looking for the Jersey Devil? But it, it could be could it be one in Australia, too, and it's the same. No, it's... it's like, no, this one's based specifically in, um, nor, in the U.S. and North America. Go for it, because... Uh, but you start, I think you may have heard of this one before. Uh, not to be confused with the stories of the Mothman who also take place in that sort of same area, but they're two separate cryptids, as it were. Okay. Um, where the Jersey Devil, this one, this one is pretty interesting to me specifically. So the Jersey Devil is a creature native to the Pine Barrens of New Jersey. It is often described as having hooves, a snake's tail, bat wings, and the head that looks like something like a horse. It looks like, sounds like a griffin to me. Or a chimera or something yeah, like that yeah, sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if we want to talk, you know, I thought there was Greek mythology. You're right. Sort of it's thing. chimera. No, you're right. You're right. I was just confusing my head. Right. Where it's got like the, the head of a lion, uh, mm. uh, the head of a goat. And, and then the snake tail. Yeah. And then, yeah. Um, that's a fucking so while there are different stories dealing with the origin of the Jersey Devil, sightings have been reported uh, beginning since like the 1700s and then continuing on, and, you know, since the past decade. Hmm. Uh, the creature is deeply rooted in folklore and legend in the area and is still mildly popular in various media forms of like sports teams and like video games and stuff. There's this thing also known as sort of like the Jersey devil came from this thing called the Leeds devil and the Jersey devil Leeds is in England. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And Jersey is, Oh, I thought it was New Jersey. Now I just realized it's Jersey in England. Duh. No, no, no. It's like New Jersey, the state. Okay. So, the, the, so we're in New Jersey, but the Jersey devil traveling and there to England. Okay. Right. Exactly. Got it. So the Jersey Devil often like glows and it can breathe fire or poison water with its breath. Uh, both classic dragon characteristics mm-hmm. of the yeah. like the Jersey Devil of folklore is also known as the Leeds Devil. 
and local residents trace its origin to a woman named Mother Leeds, the mistress of a British soldier who was suspected of being a witch. When she gave birth to her 13th child, you know, 13 being the weird number, Mm -hmm. uh, she cursed it. The baby was born as a hairy creature and soon took to terrorizing the populace and eating children. So it was the fact that it was supposedly this witch's 13th cursed child is the way that it's seen sort of like throughout folklore. Yeah. Now, now we've gotten to the point where it sounds like village gossip. Exactly. All of that shit just... Oh, that promiscuous woman. She must be a witch. Right. Oh, yeah. And did that, you know that, yeah. Did you know that there's a kid that you didn't know about? Yeah. Or, <laughs> yeah. Or, or, I can prove it. So according to another site that I had looked up called AmericanFolklore.net, mm-hmm. Joseph Bonaparte, elder brother of Napoleon Bonaparte. They paid the bottle. <laughs> he was a governor of Spain briefly, and actually he wasn't a bad one, but Spaniards hated him. They called him Pepe the Pe- Bottle? Pepe the Bottle, because he drank, apparently. Well, wow. So I'm not surprised part. by that. So, yeah. Then we kicked him out. Yeah. But, Joseph here, uh, is also claimed to have witnessed the Jersey Devil while hunting on uh, his Borden Town estate in 1820. Cool. If you did not know this already. I did not know this The story is as follows. One snowy afternoon, Joseph Bonaparte was hunting alone in the woods near his house when he spotted some strange tracks on the ground. They looked like the tracks of a two-footed donkey. Bonaparte noticed that one foot was slightly larger than the other. The tracks ended abruptly as if the creature had flown away. He stared at the tracks for a long moment trying to figure out what the strange animal might be. At that moment, Bonaparte heard a strange hissing noise. Turning, he found himself face-to-face with a large, winged creature with a horse-like head and bird-like legs. Astonished and frightened, he froze and stared at the beast, forgetting that he was carrying a rifle. For a moment, neither of them moved. Then the creature hissed at him, beat its wings, and flew away. This is an account from Joseph Bonaparte. It sounds to himself. me like Pippi the Bottle finally got an attack of delirium. <laughs> yeah, if you ask no me. kidding. Uh, knowing that Pepe the Bottle thing, maybe he was hitting the bottle a little too hard that afternoon think, and got yeah. spooked by like a pheasant or something. He got that. some delirium chance, <laughs> like right there, just like experienced all this hallucination. Right, right. By himself. But it happens to line up with pre-existing folklore so it probably could be something that hey, like Pepe, he had heard the, the story Pepe about the it the bottle bit, is pre-existing but. folklore too so <laughs> you know so that aligns really nicely yeah. but yeah it's the idea that you know he could have heard something about this and then you know suddenly his his experience matched up exactly with this because maybe if it was like a if it was like a drinking related thing it was like that's what his mind so, conjured essentially right. so knowing from history this is the brother of one of the military geniuses of the Western world, you know, and he right. also was a com- even despite the Spanish hatred of him, just because he was a foreigner, it was xenophobia, pure xenophobia. He was actually a pretty good governor. Right. That suggests to me that an intelligent person like that that describes such a sighting is really has been like sucking on the bottle a little bit too much. <laughs> right. And that his nickname is well-deserved, also as history right. suggests. So right. that would be my telephone pseudo-theory <laughs> of what happened there. You know? Which is good. I like that a lot. It's, like, it's, it's a very 
a very plausible explanation for that. What I like about speculative science is we can speculate. Oh, I know. So I, I love it so I just much. Did. Between this and like ancient aliens, like the ancient alien theory, mm. I love. I love all of it. But no, you forgot to say that um, that the um, the chimera that Pepe the Bottle found had just been dropped off on the flying saucer. <laughs> Of course, right. of course. I forgot all about that. That's why it looked like it just flew off and because it was uh, parts were it aliens. was pulled up and then dropped in another location. Right, and maybe the bottom parts were aliens. Nah, dude, a Corsican that fights for France. No, they were that's too big pretty, of an asshole. That's pretty alien to me. <laughs> Napoleon yeah. was too big of an asshole. Well, I don't know. We don't know that. I mean, no. Yeah, we do know. Sorry, I stand corrected. We do know that because like anybody that reaches as much power as Napoleon did yeah. has to be an asshole, right? But so we, we we know that. But I mean, obviously, or probably didn't start that way. Again, that would be more research into a whole other not like topic of discussion. Picasso. Oh my! Don't let's not talk about Picasso. Another thing I want to talk to you about with the this another series of sightings, and this happened in 1909. So during the week of January 16th through the 23rd in 1909, newspapers at the time published hundreds, and I mean hundreds, Hmm. of claimed encounters with the Jersey Devil from all over the state. Among those alleged encounters publicized uh, that week were claims that the creature attacked a trolley car in Hayden Heights and a social club in Camden. Police in Camden, actually, and Bristol, actually say that they... uh, Fired, supposedly fired on the creature to no effect. Other reports initially concerned unidentified footprints in the snow, uh, but soon sightings of the creature resembling the Jersey Devil were being reported throughout South Jersey and as far away as Delaware and Western Maryland. The widespread newspaper coverage led to a panic throughout the, <laughs> the Delaware Valley, prompting a number of schools to close and workers to stay home. During this period, it is rumored that the Philadelphia Zoo posted a $10,000 reward uh, for the creature's dung. Just for its poop. Mm. So get a turd from the, it's a, a pseudo-turd. It's a crypto-turd. A crypto-turd, yeah. They're going to get a crypto-turd from this crypto. <laughs> the offer prompted a variety of hoaxes, including a kangaroo with artificial wings. Of course. <laughs> that is awesome that people come up with shit like that. Right. Well, but when there's $10,000 on the line, I mean. Kangaroo with wings? Yeah, I where, mean. Where was this? This was one of the hoaxes that, no, no, like. Geographically, where was it? In Jersey. In Jersey? Where'd you get a kangaroo in Jersey? Well, I mean, you could steal one from a zoo. You could have a buddy import you one illegally from right. Australia. Let's, see, let's, do that. let's do that right now. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> when it's $10,000, man. Well, yeah. And it's 10000 Yeah, I mean, this is a couple of years ago, too. But that's, that see, these ago, are the things that I want to know when I read these things. I want to know, like, okay, so if they stole the kangaroo, were there any reports in the press also? Right. And I'm sure somebody stole. else has done their you homework. because that's kind of what's fun through. about all this shit. Right. So... Uh, so one last thing I want to wrap up with the Jersey Devil is just sort of how it's like kind of permeated throughout pop culture. Okay. And we've kind of touched on this a little bit already yeah. with like some of the movie stuff. Uh, but the Jersey Devil is actually a popular creature in New Jersey still uh, with its image on quite a number of products. The creature is even the namesake for the NHL hockey team, the New Jersey Devils or the Jersey Devils. Mm. Oh, I didn't know that. Right. That's awesome. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it is also a popular image outside of the state. The Jersey Devil is 
one of those major American monsters that gets mentioned rather frequently in Books of the Strange, uh, The Paranormal, and The Unexplained. Two fictional movies have been made about the Jersey Devil in order. They are Jersey Devil, The Last Broadcast, and A Thirteenth Child, Legend of the Jersey Devil. It has also appeared numerous times in modern popular culture, including film, television, literature, music, and even video games. Uh, the cryptid was also the focus of the X, of an X-Files episode called The Jersey Devil. So they actually, it's still so popular that they actually did an episode of X-Files devoted to this. Mm-hmm. Unlike more common and fantastic descriptions, the Jersey Devil of the episode is instead likened to a feral humanoid or possible subspecies of mankind. While this flies in the face of the traditional descriptions of the creature, the lack of special effects budgeting in the early episodes of the X-Files undoubtedly forced the producers to make a more uh, cost-effective yeah, version of the creature. That stuff. Like, well, we, that's the stuff that I like, actually, when, when, you, when you talk about resourcefulness. Right. And have Where it's it, like, okay, we'll just make it work we with got this sort of thing. animal, but we don't have a pseudo budget, so <laughs> right. we're going to come up with a pseudo solution. So what I really like about all this shit that you're telling me is, it kind of reminds me, so when I was a kid, I remember that as a kid, you would look for books with illustrations, and one of the, some of the elder, the older kids would tell me, like, right. no, no, the better books are the ones that don't have illustrations. And I, as a guy that draw, who draw and, and liked illustrations and loved it to this day, right. I was like, how come? He said, because what, what you can journey in your head is so much more powerful. And then when I started reading heavier stuff. Yeah. I, I realized what that was, you know? And so all of this reminds me of the Jabberwocky. You ever heard of Jabberwocky? Yeah, I've heard of the Jabberwocky. Okay, what is that? Uh, so my knowledge of the Jabberwocky comes from it's a Jabber- Alice in Wonder. It's a, it's a Jabberwock. Or the Jabberwock. Jabberwocky is the name of the poem. So, yeah, I just recently researched it. That's why I'm correct. Well, oh, okay. But what I'm referencing thing, is yes. where I know it from, which is Alice in Wonderland, mm-hmm. where there's the tale of the Jabberwocky. Uh, and they actually pronounce it Jabberwocky in the Alice in Wonderland Do they really? stuff. Yeah. Okay. Then I so that's why I was saying it like that's, that. Uh, yeah, right. So I know the Jabberwocky is a poem. Right. But then the poem says, beware the Jabberwock, my son. I'm sure it's, yeah. So... Um, the, what, the what I know it from is from Alice in Wonderland again, but they say they may use both, but they use them interchangeably. So okay. it's the Jabberwock and the Jabberwocky. Okay, so I'm just telling you what I okay, yeah. what I understand is Jabberwocky is a poem. Jabberwock is the the creature, and I know so, that it's been depicted like as a dragon looking thing. Hold on, that's not where I wanted to go. Okay, well, okay, yeah, no, perfect, perfect. So this is where I'm heading. Okay, so Lewis Carroll, the author yes. of Alice in Wonderland, yes, one day was bored. In the summer outing, or he was like spending the summer in the cottage with his family or something like that. He was like out in the woods, and he was inspired, and he started writing. And he wrote this thing that I love, which eventually turned into the beginning of Jabberwocky. Okay. But what it is, is, and get this, this is, this is a fight that I love. I think you're, you're going to dig it. What it is, is he was listening to all these ancient Anglo-Saxon epic poems. Yeah. You know how like that old English... You don't understand half the shit that it's saying, <laughs> but it's, it sounds really cool. Yeah. So talking about conjuring minds. So the first stanza of Jabberwocky, again, he wrote these first four verses, I think kind of in jest. Kind yeah. of fun. So what he wrote is a pseudo-Anglo-Saxon epic. <laughs> so he made up he made up the fucking words and it doesn't mean anything but it sounds like something you would know what it is but you kind of don't because you don't know what it so it sounds right. like real English real ancient English right and he just pulled it out of his ass and then years later 
he he continued that stanza and turned it into Jabberwocky, you know? The actual and, Yes. And these are the first four verses, which I love. Just listen to this, because okay. it, okay. it doesn't mean shit, but it sounds so cool, you know? Okay. And this, so it, it goes like this. It goes, Trust Brillig and the Slithy Toves did gyre and gimble in the wave. All mimsy were the Borogoves and the Momraths outgrave. <laughs> Yeah, so <laughs> you're right. You know, and so like, what are the Borogoves? Are they plants? Are they big animals in the swamp, or are they small little animals like frogs? You know, what are the slithy toves? You know what that actually? Are, you, just, just hearing that. But do you see what I'm saying, though? Absolutely. So yeah, what, what, what were you? I was going to say just listening to that. Um, for some reason, it conjured up images of the Princess Bride. So all this shit, right? So all this shit because it's because it's all in, in ancient English and pseudo ancient English. This is totally pseudo, right? It's not. He just made this shit up, right? And what I like about this is then I saw. So this ends up in this big poem. It's beware the Jabberwock, my son, and then and the the frumious bandersnatch. It talks about all oh, the bandersnatch. It talks about all these these creatures, you know. Yeah. And so I imagined a bunch of them in my head, and they were all like terrifying nightmare creatures that I thought were awesome. And then I saw the first drawing of a Jabberwock, and it looks like a fucking Jersey Devil. And that's not how I imagined a Jabberwock at all. So what I'm talking about is what the power of these things. Right. And I love the crypto. I love that we did the that we delved into the etymology because I, I was like, why is it called crypto? The mystery allure. Yeah. Of the part of the puzzle that your brain, your imagination fills it in with is what makes this shit so powerful. Absolutely. You know? And then, of course, there's a lot of charlatanry around it. You know, like I can, oh, yeah. I can just imagine. Like, oh, yeah. Ossifer and this creature crawled down in the lake. And, you know, just <laughs> to cover up your crime or some, some shit like that. Well, and I mean, part of that is just like a basic thing that humans have done for ever where they just try to explain something they can't understand with stuff they can't explain right. like stuff that makes sense to them so if it made more sense for whatever they saw to be a weird creature as opposed to your neighbor that you couldn't identify as your neighbor at the time mm-hmm. or something like that like oh it must have been a weird creature because i have no explanation right. for that like, but the beautiful part of it is like also the so the telephone game and the puzzle piece together right. is kind of what that time when we talked about the moment about how like um, whoever your listener or your audience completes a story. Yeah. So like somebody makes this up, as, right, you, as right. you said. So somebody comes up and fills in this piece of the puzzle. But then that story gets sold to this third person who then tells it to a fourth person. The fifth person imagines, puts something else on it. Yeah. And now that's sold to the sixth person. By the time it reaches the eighth person, it has nothing. So the unicorn is not a rhinoceros anymore. Right. Is kind of where I'm headed. So right. I, I think the great part of this is like somebody says something and they leave a part, a detail out, and that missing piece gets filled in by the imagination of someone. Right. And now it turns, now it grows. Well, and see, that's where I'm starting to wonder, like the what we were talking about, the Loch Ness stuff with the St. Columba, like maybe that interaction with the picks could have also just been more of that telephone game where maybe it was a picked story talking I'm about sure. something else and then suddenly it's now this water monster that was banished because and, of and this I'm, or whatever. I'm sure that's it because that's how And it couldn't have possibly been like myth. a large fish that got scared away and because some how, old man smacked a stick on the water. Right, and, and that's how folklore <laughs> and myth happen all the time. And that's right. why and that's why then you find out stuff like the myth of Moses that as a baby being put in the basket and found down the River Nile is also in 
Indian folklore. Yeah. Right. This other, I don't remember, this other mythical character who was also found in the basket as a baby in the river. Yep. And how yep. about yep. Beowulf? Beowulf, no, it's not Beowulf, but the book that I read of Beowulf starts with the King Ragnar. I don't know which king it is, the Danish king. Uh, mm-hmm. who's found also in a boat full of treasures and he just comes in from the sea you know and he's a baby right. and it, all that shit so where's that connection of all these common and it's part of that it's part of that whole missing part of the puzzle that we fill in absolutely our imaginations which is absolutely what I think is kick-ass about all this right you know and what's really interesting to me is like the occasional time where we actually are able to trace the origins of like these blown out stories mm-hmm. all the way back to like what actually happened. It doesn't happen often because a lot of stuff gets, you know, like lost or skewed. It's like right. Xerox copies throughout history, right. you know, right. Right. Yeah, it yeah. just gets right. distorted over that's, time. That's a great. Um, but there are occasional times where like you can actually sift it all the way back to where it actually started. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how many times it's just like, the story of some guy did something impressive or then, something cool right, happened. Right. And then suddenly it's turned into stories of like Hercules, like ripping the heads off the hydras and all kinds of stuff and doing like these right. weird things. And it's like, no, dude, he just like stepped on a lizard. And let, let me make sure that I, <laughs> since, since I'm always the one that's kind of trying to explain this probably was this and this was probably that. Right, right. There's absolutely nothing wrong with letting the imagination fly. Oh, yeah. And I'm remembering Guillermo del Toro now explaining i love that man yeah so okay (laughs) get over it no so guillermo so he's explaining in pan's labyrinth why this monster has the eyes in his hand remember that yep the one has his oh yeah yeah he he says like why does everything have to be explained he just has his eyes in his hands because says do you remember when you were a kid and they would tell you a fairy tale and there were things that were just because yeah jack and the beanstalk because so i just wanted to Come to the other side of the of the balance, if you will, and sure, sit absolutely. on that scale for a little bit, and also say, you know, sometimes it's just fun to not have a fucking explanation, and I do get that. Right, I do get that. Yeah, uh, but you know, if we're talking about pseudoscience, we have to make pseudo criticism. You know what I mean? Oh, so, <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the point. That's where it's like the, if you're even going to call it a pseudoscience. That means that at some point, the scientific method kind of applies. And that means that you're going to have to back it up with stuff. It's it's pseudo, but you pseudo back it up. (laughs) Right. Because it's not backed up by shit. Like some of these things are Well, clearly it's a thing because look how many similar reports there are of all over the country. Oh, hell no. But I mean, dude, (laughs) do you think the newspapers are never conflagrated to put out a bunch of bullshit (laughs) that's grown in a telephone game and turned into a thing? Right. So, yeah, we know that too. Yeah, absolutely. It's a nice little... Game of fascination, you know, with a human imagination versus what really happened. Absolutely. And when it matters and doesn't, you know. Yeah. And that's that's what's so appealing about it, you know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's the fact that it's like, okay, well, there's enough commonality to make it plausible, maybe. But I'd rather it just almost, like, never be fully explained because that's the great part about it. Right. And that's what I love about cryptozoology. Well, well, it depends. You know, it depends. It's like, you know... Where's my case of beer? Um, well, Nessie came and took it. I wanted an explanation. Okay, well, those are bullshit stories. I, I wanted an explanation to that shit, like, on the spot. You know? But so there's just like cases. the fact that Nessie exists or, like, Bigfoot or anything right. like that, like, that's what I love about cryptozoology because, I mean, me personally, I've always been a monster guy. Even when it comes to, like, B-movies, I've always liked the monsters more. Right. And so cryptozoology was, like, a natural thing for me to sort of get drawn to. And that was why I wanted to kind of, like – 
talk about it a little more and get the share because I wanted to dive a little bit into this with the whole Scotland episode and when I went to Loch Ness because again now you kind of get an understanding of why it was so big of a deal for me to go to Loch Ness by going to Scotland you know mm-hmm. that was just something I thought I wanted to uh, share with everyone here so that's that, that's all I wanted to say for this particular episode if you want to know anything more about other cryptids let us know because I could do many more episodes on this, but that's where I want to keep it today. So yeah. thank you. some pseudo comments. <laughs> no, no pseudo actual comments, no pseudo comments. <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening. And until next time, stay out of prison and walk in the shade. Mm-hmm.